God saw that the wickedness of man was very great in the earth, and it repented God that he had made man. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, a righteous man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. I'm after your hearts, not your heads, is a refrain often heard by college students in Dr. Mitchell's Bible classes. In his own words, his goal was to help you fall in love with the Savior, and his teachings always tended to fill your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the years, Dr. Mitchell touched a lot of lives as he served as founder and pastor of Central Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, and one of the founders and professors of Multnomah School of the Bible, now Multnomah University. He was also a pioneer radio speaker. In his day, there were no tape recorders, so he and his organist had to be at the station five evenings a week. He was heard live every weekday on radio stations in the Northwest. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word radio Bible study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to In this lesson, the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast continues looking at the Bible character of Noah, the man who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Do you want to be righteous and blameless in your generation? You can be. It is as simple as placing your faith in God's provision, Jesus Christ. When you trust in Christ, God sees you as righteous and blameless in the eyes of the Lord. Can you refuse that secure assurance? Well, Dr. Mitchell speaks on the life of Noah, who walked with God as found in Genesis chapter 6, 1 Peter chapter 2, and 2 Peter chapter 3. Well, let's open to Genesis chapter 6 with our teacher, Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Good day, friends. We come to you, and we are starting a little study on this man Noah in the Old Testament. And you remember, it's, this is found in Genesis chapter 6 to 9, also in Matthew 24 and Luke 17. You find his work of faith in Hebrews 11, 7. You find the patience of God manifested in 1 Peter 3, while the ark was preparing. And you have in 2 Peter 2, 5, he was a preacher of righteousness. I mentioned this. Uh, in our last lesson, we were discussing this matter of Noah's world in which he lived. Sometimes today we Christians feel that the world is so bad or our circumstances are so that we can't walk with God. When I think of, the, of these two men, Enoch and Noah, the one who was translated from the earth, taken out of the world, and then think of Noah, who stayed on the earth until the judgment fell. 
God making provision for him, you remember, in the ark. These two men walked with God in the midst of an ungodly, a violent world where the thoughts and the imaginations of the heart of man was evil continually. And we took up his world. By contrast, we had this man, Noah, who became a flaming evangelist, if I may use that term, and had no response. Think of a man preaching for 120 years, a preacher of righteousness, and the only ones who were saved were his own family. But Noah has a responsibility. He must stay and witness to this world. God is not going to judge a world in its sin and shame and corruption without giving it a witness, without giving it the information that he has made provision for men to be redeemed from their sins, cleansed from unrighteousness, fitted for the presence of God. I want you to get this picture. Sometimes we forget this. We think of Noah building an ark and taking his family out. Let the rest of the world go by under the judgment of God. That's not the picture. The more Noah walked with God, the more he realized the terribleness of sin and the greater his burden that these who were dead in trespasses and sins might know the living God and be cleansed from their sin, be forgiven of their sin and become those with whom God takes great delight. Now, in, in Noah's day, there were giants in the world, men of renown, great men, but they were degenerate, just like today. Just like today. You take, for example, the weapons of warfare a hundred years ago and take the weapons of warfare today. The contract is marked. It just seems the more man knows, the more able he is to invent things. He's worked out many inventions, tremendous inventions. Oftentimes, the, the invention was for the benefit of humanity. But before long, that same invention is used for the progress of corruption, lawlessness, and immorality. See, the, the trouble is, the, the imaginations of the heart of man is evil continually. Man is in utter ruin. Now, I know men don't like to hear that. People say, well, Mr. Mitchell, I'm as good as you are. Well, I'm not going to argue about that. Is that what you're going to tell God? I'm as good as that preacher, Mitchell? Huh. Of course not. You're trying to excuse yourself. Trying to excuse the sin you're in. What did God say? God saw, verse 5 of chapter 6, God saw that the wickedness of man was very great in the earth, and it repented God that he had made man. I was going to destroy it. Then I read, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and Noah walked with God. Noah was a just person, a righteous person, and perfect in his generation. Now, that doesn't mean he was sinless. That's the word perfect. He belonged to a generation that was not mixed up, which had not broken down the wall of separation between the descendants of Cain and the descendants of Seth. God saw the world in utter ruin. The end of all flesh is before me. 
as terrible as nothing. The end of all flesh is before me. Man in utter ruin. So God says to the man who walked with him, Noah, you build an ark. That's God's remedy. Corruption brings destruction. Don't you forget that. And sin brings death. You can't, you can't separate corruption from destruction. Man left to himself will destroy himself. And sin always brings death. As Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. And Ezekiel said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now that's the world, that's the condition. Now let's look at Noah's faith. In chapter 6 and 7, Noah found grace in the sight of God. And in verse 13, verse 12, all flesh had corrupted his way. This is what God saw, remember. This is what God saw. Out of ruin, the end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with, filled with violence through them. I will destroy the earth. But you, Noah, make an ark for the saving of your house. Now, here's God's command. I remember in Hebrews chapter 11, I read these words. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, mark that word, not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. I want you to get the picture. I want you to get the picture. Is the whole earth under the judgment of God. God says in chapter 6 of Genesis, I'm going to give them 120 years. I'm going to be patient with them for another 120 years. And Noah, I want you to preach to them. I want you to tell them of a coming judgment. Now here's dear, dear, dear Noah. All around him are great men, are giants. Men of renown, great men, mighty men. And here's Noah, quiet, peaceful, trying to live for God, trying to walk before God. Oh, how they must have razzed Noah. How they must have scorned him, you know. But God says, I want you to make an ark. And by faith, Noah obeyed. He built an ark for the saving of his house. Now, you listen to what I'm going to say. Noah protested the life of this world and waited 120 years before the judgment came. He walked with God. He was the only righteous man in his generation. Can you, can you picture this? Here is Noah trying to walk with God. Here's the world outside scorning him, razzing him, ridiculing him. <laughs> Why, Noah, what do you talk? Sun is shining, no rain, and here you're building a boat on dry land. And for 120 years, oh, the patience of God. What was he doing? Pleading with this world, protesting the unrighteousness. Yet he built the ark. What do you think the world thought about that? You see, the ark was not for the safety of the world. 
but for his own house, in case the world refused to believe God's message. He tried to stem the tide alone. See, the real cure for the human race was cleansing. But refusing God's word, refusing God's remedy, you build an ark. And I'm sure that Noah's heart was heavy with the burden of an unregenerate race. And the more he walked with God, the more he was burdened for man. And you can just see him building the ark, possibly he and his three sons. It may be some of the people around him helped him to cut down trees. They built an ark. And you remember, God was the architect. I'm not taking up that aspect of it. But you have in chapter 6, God told him what to build, how long to build it, how high to build it, and so forth and so on. I'm not going to go to that. Someone as well said, it was a perfect, as far as, uh, um, what shall I say, uh, the content of the ark, the building of the ark, its length, its breadth, its depth, was a picture of a perfect boat. But be that as it may, he obeyed by faith. Supposing God would tell you to build an ark, and for 120 years, you're preaching righteousness to the men around you. They laughed at you, scorned at you. What are you going to do? I am reminded by the way of our Savior. You remember in Matthew chapter 23, about verse 37, the third verse from the last of the chapter. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you would not. You killed the prophets, you stoned those that God sent unto you. Oh, how I would take you under my, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, I'd like to gather you under my wings. Or if I may quote from Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, if you remember, about 41 on, where God, where the Lord Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Do you know why he wept? Because they chose a destroyer to a deliverer. They chose a destroyer to a deliverer. Oh, how often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you would not. Did you ever stop to think of the patience of God? You remember in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, you have that amazing picture of, of Peter using Noah as an illustration of the patience of God. You remember he's talking about Christ once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, quickened by the Spirit, by which also he, the Spirit, or which, by which he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein a few souls, eight souls, were saved by water. And he goes on to say that we also are saved by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven is at the right hand of God, still patiently waiting for men to accept him. I want you to mark that. You ever stop to think of the patience of God? Here God is going to, he's going to blot out a human race. He will not do it 
without sending a witness. In Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, do you remember? God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to worsward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In 1 Timothy 2, 4, God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What I'm trying to get to your heart is, my friend, if I'm talking to you today and you're not a Christian, you haven't accepted the Savior, just as Noah preached a preacher of righteousness for 120 years, and God called Noah to do this, and I'm repeating something, the closer Noah walked with God, the more he saw the heart of God, and the more he was burdened that this generation of people might know God as their Savior and Lord. And he had the practical thing of building an ark. And the ark was there not to save society. It was to save Noah in case the society wouldn't accept the remedy. Man is in utter ruin, and only God provides the remedy. That's why we have in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come looking for good people. God doesn't save good people. God saves sinners. When a man says to me, Mitchell, I'm too, I'm too much of a sinner to be saved. I say, you're, you're just in the right condition to be saved. You qualify very well for the Savior. He didn't come to save good people. He came to save sinners. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to save those who were not a ruin, just like you have it here. God sent a messenger, Noah, a preacher of righteousness. And I say again, for 120 years, he poured out his life, more and more burden for his generation. And the more he preached, and the more he yearned for them to know the Savior, they razzed him, and they scorned him, and they scoffed him. Yet he went on by faith. He went on by faith. I'm telling you this. I wonder how many of us would preach for 120 years without seeing anybody saved. You ever think of it? You ever think of it? Now, how good God is to us. He allows you and me, Christian friend, to be a witness. That doesn't mean we're all to be preachers, but we can be a witness by our actions, by our lives, to show forth something of the love and the grace, the mercy and the tenderness of Christ to others. I repeat it, if this man Noah could walk with God in a violent world, so can you, and you can become God's testimony. Again, I'll repeat the verse, God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. That's why I said a while ago, our Lord stood and looked over Jerusalem, the city of God, where God's temple was. He saw it being destroyed. And a few years after his crucifixion and resurrection, the city was in ruin. You remember in Matthew 24, he said, there'll not be one stone set upon another, and all be fulfilled. In the preceding passage in 23, O Jerusalem, I would love to save you. I would like to put my arms around you and love you and save you, but you would not. I'm reminded of that verse in, in John chapter 6, verse 39 to 40, 
when Jesus said to the Jews of his day, especially the Jewish leaders, you do search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me, and you will not come to me that you might have life. You will not come to me that you might have life. Oh, the appeal of Jesus. In Luke 19, you chose a destroyer instead of a deliverer. You chose a destroyer instead of a deliverer. I have come to deliver you from sin, from judgment, from wrath. And you don't want it. You don't want me as your Savior. And my friend, let me tell you very bluntly, if we reject the mercy and grace of God, there is nothing left for a righteous God to do but to judge. How glad I am for Thessalonians 5, 9. God hath not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain deliverance through Jesus Christ our Lord. And did he not say to that generation, which in a few years was going to be destroyed or going to captivity, he said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What I would like to get to your heart today, dear Christian friend, I don't care where God has put you. I don't care under what circumstance you live. I declare to you, if you love the Savior, if you love the Savior, the more you walk with him, the more you'll have compassion upon men and women. Sometimes I'm amazed at the hardness of some of God's people toward the unsaved. When I, when I think that Lord Jesus Christ was called the friend of publicans and sinners, and even when they brought harlots to the Savior, he didn't condemn them. He just said, go and sin no more. Or he might say, as Luke 7 said, our sins which are many are forgiven. You know, he's still the Savior of sinners. He still loves to save men from judgment and from death. This is why I'm pleading with you, Christian friend, you and I have a tremendous responsibility. You know that? We have a tremendous responsibility, and that responsibility is to bear testimony to our neighbors, to our friends, of a Savior who can save from sin and from judgment. This is Noah, 120 years, a preacher of righteousness, scorned, scoffed, refused, ridiculed by his generation. And by faith, he built the ark. And I repeat it, he built the ark not to save the world. He built the ark to save himself and his family in case, in case the world would not accept the divine provision of mercy. I again say, oh, the patience of God in, in, in Noah's day and the patience of God today. And yet, if we are saved, we're on God's team and he wants us to bear testimony. Now let me close. If I'm talking to any unsaved friend, a husband, a wife, a son or a daughter, whoever you may be, my friend, if you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, may I, may I say very kindly, I want to say firmly, out of Christ, there's nothing else but ruin. 
And God has made the provision for you and for me to accept a deliverer, to accept a Savior. And how glad I am, I read in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation, no judgment to those who are in Christ Jesus. Or John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. These are the words of Jesus to you. May God grant today you'll accept him and pass from death to life. And the Lord bless you now for his precious name's sake. Don't be almost put him foremost for he loves you my friend he died and rose at with your comments and your prayer requests to The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. The Unchanging Word is dependent on the support of our listeners. And so until next time, this is The Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Life begins at Calvary.